I was dead inside. And the only thing I could think of was, I know you are good and I know you love me. Welcome to Walk Like a Hebrew, the podcast where we share the stories of regular people and how they discovered the way and learned to walk more like their Messiah. I'm your host, Jody O'Dell, and this is Episode 9, an interview with Trisha Clark of Idaho. Welcome to Walk Like a Hebrew, and we say walk like a Hebrew because we are just discussing with people how we walk out our faith like the most famous Hebrew of all time, Jesus. And I'm here tonight with Trisha Clark. And Trisha, welcome. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for agreeing to be interviewed. Basically, can you just introduce yourself first? Tell me a little about yourself. Sure. My name is Trisha Clark. I was born and raised in um, Southern California, a little beach town called Corona Del Mar, by awesome parents who raised us in Christian science. And um, yeah, I'm always interested in spiritual matters. And one of the things that I remember as a child, I remember watching the movie about these Portuguese kids that had seen the Virgin Mary in, you know, they had this vision. And then all of a sudden was like the Virgin of Fatima and all, you know, and it was a black and white movie was supposed to be this, you know, a real life story. And I thought, I want that kind of an experience. I want that, you know. So from early on, I was very interested in spiritual matters and didn't really, you know, understand why or anything. And at the age of uh, 19 was when I first got serious and said, okay, when you're 19 and you have all that angst of like, you know, what's my life going to become? And, you know, what am I going to do with my life? I sat there in my room all by myself. Nobody prompted me because it definitely wasn't the type of prayer that you were taught to pray. You weren't even really taught to pray in Christian science. It was an exercise of mind over matter. So this whole concept of praying or talking out loud to a divine being was new. And I just sat there and I go, okay, if you're real, you better do something with me. You know. And then from that point on, it was just slowly, little by little, the first thing he did was get me to start reading scripture. Mm. And at the age of 21, in my university years, I, I went to Spain and that was a, that changed my life a lot. So that I took a, what a the, yeah. The and I ended up wow. staying and living in Spain for 15 years. Wow. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I met and married my husband in Spain and both my sons were born in Spain. Wow. And um, yeah. So when we came back, you know, to California, things had changed. So at 19 was when I started getting serious. Mm-hmm. I went over to Spain when I was 21. When I came back after a year at the University of Granada, by that time, my mom and my brother were believers as well. Okay. And so I said, we've got to find a, a church, you know. And so growing up in uh, Southern California, Calvary Chapel was the big thing. Yeah. So yeah. we went to Chuck Smith's Calvary Chapel. I decided I wanted to go back to Spain and open up a language academy, which I did. So when I was in Spain, I attended the Evangelical Baptist Church, and I was a missionary there. That's where I met and married my now ex-husband. He was the youth group leader. And um, it's very interesting. It was really funny. So Spain is a very Catholic country, and they did not have religious freedom until 1979. Well, I went over in 1978. And so I had already connected with the underground Christian church. Mm -hmm. And um, we were married in uh, the Baptist church, which was in literally a mechanic's garage. It wasn't a church. It was a garage. And his Ah. parents were not happy. Were they Catholic? Um, 
well, no. See, this is what's so interesting. On the outside, they were Catholic. Oh. But the day before my wedding, his father comes up to me and says, you can't marry my son. We're Jewish. <laughs> and I went, oh, that's great. So are we. <laughs> I'd grown up knowing that my father said we're Jewish. Wow. And then I said, well, why don't we go to synagogue? He goes, well, because we don't. We, we want to fit it. You know, it's like they were afraid yeah. of the, his, his family had come over from Germany between the two world wars. Okay. And was interesting because my mom never said anything about her family being Jewish. And when I told my mom, I go, well, Tad says we're Jewish. And she goes, he never told me. I said, well, he told <laughs> us, you know. So anyways, that was the big laugh. And so when I told my father-in-law, I said, oh, that's great. So are we. His mouth dropped open. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So when our first son was about to be born, and he's he'll be 30 in May, um, I just got this, you know, deep sense of I need to start raising my son in our heritage. And I thought my husband knew that he was Jewish. So I had brought over a Haggadah, you know, for a Passover Seder. Uh And I said, you know, here, let's go through this and let's, you know, this Passover, let's, let's do this so that, you know, our children start growing up understanding their heritage. And he looked at me like I was crazy. Oh no! He says, what are you talking about? And I said, well, you're Jewish. I'm Jewish. We're believers because it was a Messianic Haggadah. Uh So, He said, what? I said, well, and I told him what his dad said. Well, he called his mom and dad. (laughs) And it was like everything hit the fan. Oh, (laughs) goodness. (laughs) You know, the history of their hidden Sephardic Jewishness just started coming out. And it was fascinating to me. I didn't even know that modern day Jews hid in Spain. I mean, I know that happened like in the 1400s and the 1600s and that. But I didn't know that it was still happening. Now, well, yes, absolutely. We were married in 1987. So the more we looked into it and the more we started asking family members, there's so much persecution. I did the research and I traced his Jewish heritage all the way back at the local parish. The priest just took a liking to me and he gave me all, you know, access to the library. And I traced it all the way back to like 16 something or other. Their home is on the Hebrew gate, which is in the outskirts of the city, um, as they always are. And the name of the street was the Hebrew Gate. Really? And so they're outcasts. You do everything you can to fit in. And so most of his family acted very, very Catholic. But all their documentation shows that they had to get special dispensations from the Pope and everything just to get married, to be buried. They had to get baptized. And on their baptismal certificates, it had all the lingo that basically said, because you're new Christians and you're not really Christians, you're really Jews. But we're letting you do this so that, you know, very interesting. Yeah, my husband would wear his kippah and his mother was having a fit. She goes, can't you just take that thing off? He goes, no. He goes, I've been denied my heritage. I am proud of my heritage. And, oh, gosh, when did the last time we went back would be in the early 2000, 2001 or something like that. Mm -hmm. He would get spit on walking down the sidewalk. Oh, my God. And they'd say dirty Jew and they'd spit at him. Yeah. In, so. in the in this millennium? Yes. Oh yes. my goodness. Yeah. So wow. you know, it, it's it is interesting. We're very privileged here to be able to practice our yeah. faith and look into our Hebrew roots and look well, into and we're also yeah. very sheltered. We're very sheltered. Because I mean yeah. you read about this stuff happening in other places, but Yeah. You know, to know somebody yeah. who's actually experienced it is a whole different thing. Yeah. Wow. So both my sons were um, bar mitzvahed in a messianic congregation, 
And my um, ex-husband was a worship leader. He would teach the kids the Hebrew for their bar and bat mitzvahs and things like that. And then I think he slowly made several decisions or or compromises personal to him that he wasn't sharing with anybody. And uh, seven years ago, he made the decision to abandon the family and he had an affair with a non-believer. Actually, I believe a pagan woman practices witchcraft but he just in three days time told me i'm leaving and was gone oh my god so my faith has been put to the test i would say the rubber met the road and you know after over 30 years of being a believer you know i had to start really holding on to what it is that i said i believed because i lost everything oh my god Yeah. yeah So I currently live in Idaho. I live in a yurt. It's almost off grid. I have my own water source. I have, you know, water from a well and I heat my um, yurt with a firewood stove. Yeah. So I'm kind of living very much an opposite life of Southern California surfer. Right. You're like a pioneer woman. Yeah. Wow. So was there one particular thing? besides finding out that you were Jewish, that caused you to come into Hebraic roots type of lifestyle? Um, I think for me, I think the father used my personality. I wouldn't say I'm rebellious, <laughs> but I, I think I am because I started asking questions that people didn't have satisfying answers for. Right. And so I would start digging on my own. So I think the very fact that nobody ever led me in like the sinner's prayer, you know, I mean, formulas don't convince me, they don't satisfy me, and answers that don't click with me spur me on to dig for myself. Right. So I started asking questions Mm -hmm. and kind of hit and miss looking because I didn't really know how to um, go about finding the answer that I wanted in the Bible. And I think maybe what the Father used to get me on the path to understanding was K. Arthur's Precept Upon Precept Inductive Bible Studies. Really? Yes. So I started doing that with a friend in a group. I loved it because it was methodical, showing me things I never was taught in church. Right. And the number one thing was word studies. And you weren't allowed to touch any commentaries until you had finished the entire study. And you were to look up the first mention of a word and follow it through. So you started in the Tanakh and you followed it all the way up to the end. And then you weren't allowed to speak in the class unless you had done all the work. Right. And you weren't allowed to give your opinion. You were only allowed to use scripture. And those things fascinated me. And it forced me, yeah, it forced me to get into the word. And it began my quest for Hebrew to understand the Hebrew. And I remember sharing in the class, like I had this like, you know, this epiphany of like, you guys, this is a Hebrew book. It was written originally in Hebrew. And the people that wrote it were Hebrews. And I'm like, oh my gosh. So being a language teacher, it's Mm -hmm. like, you can read Don Quixote in English. It's a wonderful work of literature. But oh my gosh, how much do you miss if you don't read it in Spanish? Yes. And then even reading it in Spanish, if you're not familiar with the cultural background to all those idioms and sayings and jokes and, you know, ways of expressing, if you don't have a Spanish soul, you can't really get the entire depth. Oh, my gosh. Yes. 
that is so true with everything, but especially with the Bible. Exactly. So, so much in there that we just, we have no idea what on earth they're talking about, but we make like we do, right? Yeah. Well, the first step is understanding the word. Oh, yes. that's not what I think it is. But right. you can understand the word and not have the soul of it. Yes. But the oh, I love beautiful, yeah, the beautiful, beautiful thing I love about, you know, this walk like a Hebrew is that the Father has given us his spirit. So, you know, who understands the things except the spirit? And he reveals them to us. So we don't have to be Jewish no. to understand. We just have to be obedient and we have to seek. We have to want it. We have to desire it. We have to search after it. So it was very satisfying to me. You know, I remember telling my precept upon precept teacher, I've learned more in these seven weeks than I have in seven years. And she was just delighted. You know, <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I never would have yeah. expected Kay Arthur because yeah, I, did it, yeah. that, I did that Bible study and it led yeah. me to a completely different place because I didn't know the culture and the history and the idioms and the jokes. And I didn't understand the soul of Hebrew, like you were saying. It just it didn't Well, I think it was through. more the methodology. It was the well, methodology. The, the methodology yeah. is definitely, definitely valuable. I'm going to go back and do that study again now. Yeah, it was the methodology. It showed me, oh my gosh, I haven't got a clue. Yes. <laughs> Good place to start yeah. for people. I haven't got a clue. <laughs> I'm constantly <laughs> realizing that. <laughs> me too. Me too. And it's funny because I don't know if Pam's shared this with you, but I'm kind of a know-it-all. <laughs> and I, I come off that. Yeah. I, yeah. Y- no, know, she hasn't. Uh, no, I'm sorry. It's not the right answer. <laughs> she hasn't said that at all. Okay, good. But there was a time when I was involved in church. I was on church staff and I was in all the ministries and I did all the things and people would come to me for advice. And I really thought that I was wise. I was so wise in my own eyes, and I am ashamed to admit it now, but I was kind of full of myself, and I thought I was so smart and knew so many things. And then I got into this walk and realized I don't know anything. (laughs) And everything I thought I knew, I didn't really know because it wasn't quite right. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, his mercy is beyond anything. I mean, his patience and his mercy. One of my favorite verses is, what is right? And what does the Father require of us but to walk humbly, to love mercy, you know, to do what's right, to love justice, love mercy, and to walk humbly with him. And I think the very premise of Christian salvation is admit you're a sinner. Well, that's easy, you know, because, oh, that's that action. Yeah, I do this, I do that. But what about our lack of humility? It's like, oh, Uh but now I know everything. So the premise has to be one of humility, a truly humble person will say, oh my gosh, I know nothing. I need to start from zero. Yeah. You know? I, I wasn't <clears throat> humble for so long and then God humbled me. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, I'm so grateful. I mean, it was awful at the time, but yeah. I'm very, very grateful. And ah, even the, in the way that he humbles us is so merciful. It is. It definitely is. Wow. That just uplifted me a whole bunch. Oh, cool. So what has this journey been like from that beginning point to now? Okay, so if I go back to the time I was 19, at 21, I went to Spain, and I thought I knew everything, of course, <laughs> because these Catholics have no clue, right? <laughs> they have they have no clue. And I am a born-again Christian, and I mm-hmm. know everything, right? Oh, boy, yeah. Okay, so, yeah, I needed to be humbled big time. I mean, that's a big repentance, like, oh, Father, forgive me. How I much know. damage did I do? Yeah. You know, really, how yeah. much damage did I do? Um, oh, God forgive us. So 15 years working with the Baptist Church, 
the last few years, the more I tried to be consequential with my belief, you know, of scripture says this, how come I'm not doing that? And I try to be consequential. Mm. It was not the non-believers that would look at me weird or challenge me or, you know, say, you can't do that. It was the church. And it didn't turn me off because I realized, shots where I was, I would have said the same thing. So I grew and grew and grew and grew. I grew fat. I grew fat. I had every Bible study at my fingertips. We belonged to a huge, very important, of course, Messianic congregation. (laughs) I'm being facetious. I'm being snarky. I'm sorry. It's okay. Um, My ex-husband was worship leader. We had the longest running and the largest Bible study in our home every Wednesday night for over 13 years. Wow. And I was in charge of Shabbat school. And I would constantly say, I'm so blessed. I am so blessed. I just don't know how other people do it when they don't have such a happy marriage. And if their faith is not, you know, they don't believe. I just, I don't know, you know. And then I got hit in the back of the head with the baseball bat of, I'm leaving you. I'm divorcing you. And three days later, he's gone. I mean, that's uh, no explanation other than I'm in love with another woman and I'm not going to counseling. I'm, this is it. And he just walked out of our lives. I was in shock. I was shattered. I felt numb. I couldn't think. I couldn't speak. I I, I couldn't work. And um, three months prior to that, we had just celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary. And we came home to find my mom in bed with a bracelet on her wrist. I said, what's going on? She goes, we'll talk later. I said, no, we'll talk now. She goes, I've been diagnosed with lung cancer. Oh, no. And she passed away a year later. Uh, He left three months later after the diagnosis. And the divorce was final one month before she passed away. And so I lost everything. It was blow after blow after blow. And um, I lost my home. I lost my mother. I lost my congregational family. The 25 people that would show up in my home every Wednesday, every Passover, every Hanukkah, every feast day, I would say maybe three kept in touch with me. They disappeared. My youngest son told me he couldn't take it anymore. And one day before he left, he told me he was leaving and he flew out to Washington. And I, I'm like, what? Yeah. My eldest son, who also said, I can't stay in this house anymore, went to go live with my brother. And I found myself in what I thought was the perfect home with the perfect family, completely alone. One of the things that I've been trying to practice is gratitude mm. and saying, I don't understand it, but I'm thankful. You have a reason. Okay, so this whole thing of like throwing everything that I received in the divorce settlement into a piece of property and building a roof over my head when there was nothing here and everything that that entails. I remember sitting on the fence one time, bawling my eyes out. Just, I mean, everything that could go wrong was going wrong. I couldn't Mm -hmm. find people to finish a job. If they did, it was horrible. They wanted more money. I didn't have any more money to the point of like for three and a half years, I was going to the bathroom in a portable outhouse in the snow at night, dark. And people are going, you don't have a gun, Trish. There are bears out there. I'm like, okay, that's my least concern. (laughs) You know, (laughs) and I sat on the fence and I cried and cried and cried. I did not know what to believe. I didn't know if I believed. I couldn't pray. You know, they always say, oh, praise him, praise him. I go, I don't I don't know how. Mm-hmm. I can't think of any song lyrics. I mean, and here my ex-husband was worship leader. That's all yeah. we did. I was dead inside. And the only thing I could think of was, I know you are good and I know you love me. So I just kept repeating that. I know you're good and I know you love me. I don't know how long it took, but it was definitely him. 
he lifted me out of the pit. I stopped crying, and I don't know whether it was physically my body had no more liquid in it. (laughs) I go, hey, you're good. You love me. What in the world am I worried about? And it just was a miraculous moment. And from that point on, I'm going to stop. I'm going to be grateful. I have a roof over my head. I'm warm. I have a job. And I have a couple inches around my midsection that I'm not going to die in three days, you know. So I... What to am I be grateful to... for that is just amazing. Exactly. I'm grateful for the muffin top over oh, my Levi's. Wonderful. You know, you know so <laughs> I'm trying oh. to focus on being great. No, I'm not. That's not true. I was going to say I'm, I'm grateful for my wrinkles. I'm, no, I'm not. I don't want those. <laughs> but I am grateful. And now I can look back and go, you know what, Father? You would not have allowed it if you didn't have something more important for us to learn. And so I'm thankful because I wouldn't have that experience of feeling and I wouldn't say I lost everything because obviously I didn't, but that's it what sure it felt, felt like. It, yeah. it felt like there's, yeah. why am I alive? I wanted to right. die, oh. you know, and it wasn't just a fleeting thing. Oh, I want to die. No, I wanted to die. I'm like, I don't want to live because everything that I thought was important and was right was taken away. And that's something you can't really explain to anybody unless they've gone through something. Well, let's change tactics just a little bit. What do you call yourself when somebody asks you about your religion? Well, that's interesting because I've gone through the gamut of (laughs) I'm a born-again Christian. Then it was I'm a Messianic. Then, you know, I'm a Jewish believer. Um, Uh I just say I am a believer that Scripture is truth and I do my best to be consequential with that. And then depending on who I'm talking to, I can give more qualifiers. But Yeah, that seems to be the common theme. That's what a lot of people say is it depends on who I'm talking to and how yeah. much they're ready to hear. My last question is just off the top of your head, what are your favorite resources for teaching or music or well, learning? Yeah. Torah and the walk. I have a awesome uh, Klein's. Klein's? Klein's. Yeah, it's the big so, red honking, like, yeah. a, you know. Yeah, my, basically my library of books, yeah. scripture, dictionaries. I would say I my resource the last seven years, my number one resource has been scripture and time alone with the Father, like circumstances that he, you know, backed me into a corner and I have no option but to go to his word and to him in prayer. Yes. Um, there's a, a young Israeli group, uh, Lador Vador, oh. and they have awesome, like, messianic worship. I think, for me, at where I'm at right now, listening to other people is always insightful. I, it's more of a confirmation rather than learning anything new. Right, yeah. It's like, a, okay, there's a second witness. Okay, there's a third witness. But sources would be would be scripture and uh, Hebrew dictionaries. Thank you so much for sitting down with me. I Absolutely. really appreciate it. I've loved your story. I've loved it. Thank you for listening to Walk Like a Hebrew. Many thanks to Jack Lane for the music. This podcast is entirely listener supported. So if you like what you hear, please consider making a one-time or recurring donation by visiting sheholdsforth.com and clicking the donate button. That's S-H-E-H-O-L-D-S-F-O-R-T-H.com. May Yehovah bless you. We'll catch you next time.